Well, I'd like to begin with an unusual question, and that question is if you were stranded on a desert island, and one book of the Bible, and only one, were to wash up on shore, which book would you want that book to be? Now, if I was a non-Christian, I would say I'd want it to be one of the Gospels, because I want to learn about Jesus. And so if I were Jewish, I would probably want Matthew to wash up on the shore. If I were a Gentile, I would probably desire Luke to come up onto the sand. But if I was already a Christian, and I knew Jesus as my Savior, which book would I want then? And my answer is the book of Romans. That's the book I would want. I called my kid sister last night and asked her the same question. And she said, Romans. And uh, that has to be right because my sister is never wrong. And so... (laughs) But you know, when I was in college and seminary, in both of those institutions, I was required to take a course, one course on the book of Romans all by itself. It's the only book of the Bible that I have been required to take two courses on. Now this morning, as we begin a new year, I want to begin a study on the book of Romans. And this morning, I'm going to do a little survey for us. And I'm simply describing this message as the letter that changed the world. And I want you to listen to what some others have said throughout the course of church history about this amazing and wonderful letter. Pastor John Piper has said that it is the greatest letter that has ever been written. And William Tyndale, who was the very first person ever to translate the Greek New Testament into English, and who was murdered as a result of that effort. William Tyndale was strangled to death, and then he was burnt at the stake for uh, translating the New Testament into English and spreading the gospel. Here's what he said. He said, Romans is the most excellent part of the New Testament. No one can read it too often or study it too well. The poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge said this, Romans is the most profound book in existence. And Pastor John Calvin said, If we understand Romans, we have an open door to all of the most profound treasures of Scripture. And Pastor John Stott, who just passed away in uh, the last couple of years, whom I heard preach on the first five chapters of Romans many, many years ago at Urbana, in 1979, had this to say, Romans is the fullest, plainest, and grandest statement of the gospel in the New Testament. And so this morning, as we come to the beginning of this series, I want to bring an introductory message on why the book of Romans is so essential for our lives. And let's just take a moment, shall we, and bow together and ask the Lord to be our teacher. Gracious God, we are heirs of the riches of Christ Jesus in the gospel. And as we begin a new year, we have much to rejoice in. We have much to be thankful for.
And as we begin a study of this most excellent book in your word, we have so much to learn from it and be encouraged by it. And I pray, Lord, today for any in our midst who may not be sure of where they stand with the Lord Jesus Christ, that by the Spirit of God using the truth of God, this may be the year when they come to know Jesus. Lord, for the rest of us who have been believers and have walked with the Lord for a long time, may we see things that will strengthen our Christian faith. May we be encouraged to continue this battle with the flesh, the world, and the devil. And may we thank you for the wonderful resources that have been provided for us that we learn from your word. So guide us now. Help us to see how this great book has changed many lives and how it is such a wonderful, wonderful resource for us in our walk with you. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. First of all, as we begin, I would like to share with you that God has used this exceptional book to change the world. And I want to share with you how he has changed some lives in the past, and then I want to share with you how he's done that in the present through Romans. I've had some additional stories, even as a result of this morning, uh, that I could add as well. But let me begin by sharing with you about some events in the past. A young man in his 30s from North Africa was in complete bondage to sexual lust and promiscuity. He lived with one of his mistresses and he had an illegitimate son that he had fathered with this mistress. He actually believed that Christianity was true and he actually listened to a popular preacher in his day very eagerly. He was almost persuaded to begin a new life, but he found it impossible to break with his past life. Lasciviousness, the bondage of lust, just had too great of a hold on him. As he struggled with this, one day he went out into the garden there where he lived and This is what he wrote. The tumult of my heart took me out into the garden where no one could interfere with the burning struggle with myself. I was twisting and turning in my chains. I let my tears flow freely. As he sat despairing in the garden that day, he heard a little child sing a current melody of that day. Take up and read. Take up and read. He interpreted that melody to mean that he should pick up a collection of Paul's letters that he had been reading that belonged to a friend, and it was long enough ago that this was a scroll. When he opened up the scroll, his eyes lit for the very beginning of this experience on these two verses, Romans 13, 13 and 14. Let's read them together. Join me. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, 
not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. This is what he wrote. I neither wished nor needed to read any further. At once, with the last words of this sentence, it was as if a light of relief from all anxiety flooded into my heart. All the shadows of doubt were dispelled. And at that very moment, Augustine Aurelius of North Africa was converted. He later became a pastor in the North African town of Hippo, and he simply became known as Augustine of Hippo. He became the most influential Christian teacher and theologian for the next 1,000 years. And during the last two decades of his life, he debated a man by the name of Pelagius, Pelagius denied original sin and the necessity of grace and was a very popular figure. And that debate had to be won to protect the very essence of the gospel itself. And Augustine won that debate. And all of God's people said, Amen. And today in our churches, we teach a proper view of sin and a proper view of grace partly because of the clear teaching of Augustine. Let me move along this morning and tell us about another young man. This young man who was converted through the book of Romans was in his 20s. And about at the age of 21, he thought the surest way to enter into heaven was to become a monk. And so he did so. He lived a life of dedication and extreme austerity, and he punished himself to earn God's favor. He fasted and went without food. He went sleepless. There were nights that he endured bone-chilling cold without a blanket. He whipped himself to show his dedication. So fastidious was he in confession that he wore out his confessor in the confession booth. He confessed the most minute, minuscule sins that no one had ever even bothered with. Finally, his priest said to him, Stop coming to confession. You are driving me crazy. This is what he wrote. He wrote, I was a good monk. If ever a monk got into heaven by his monkery, it was I. But all of this dedication, devotion, and duty gave him no peace whatsoever. There was one verse in the Bible that he hated. In fact, it would be fair to say he hated this verse with a passion. That verse was Romans 1.17. It was quoted earlier. Let's read it together, all right? 
For therein the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. This is what he said. I hated that word, the righteousness of God. Because he knew that he was unrighteous. And he knew the righteousness of God in spite of all of his efforts, all of his devotion, all of his dedication condemned him. He said he was terrified of the wrath of God. And listen to his words. He said, I greatly long to understand Paul's letter to the Romans. And nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the righteousness of God. Day and night I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy He justifies us by faith. And all God's people said, Amen. He continued, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of Scripture took on a new meaning. And whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet and greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway into heaven. And of course, you know, that young man was none other than Martin Luther. How many of you think he had just a tiny little effect on the world? Here we sit today in a gospel preaching church, understanding the meaning of Romans 1.17. The righteousness of God is a standing that He gives to those who put their faith and trust in Christ, who accomplished on the cross for us, what we could never do ourselves. And we understand that truth partly because of this man's great legacy. It all started with Romans. How many of us here today raised up in Wesleyan Methodism? Any of us here today? Some of us. Some in the first service. I could tell you today about John Wesley. John Wesley was an Anglican priest who came to America to reach souls. He called them the heathen. But he was a miserable, miserable failure. And one day on his way uh, on a ship to England, there was a huge storm. He thought the ship was going to go under and he was going to lose his life. And here he was, an Anglican priest, and he was terrified. On board were a group of simple believers in the same storm, totally at peace because they knew where they were going. And here's what Wesley said. He said, I went to America to convert the heathen, but who will convert me? And then one day in the turmoil of his soul, he went to a meeting where somebody was explaining the message of Romans. And this is what he said. He said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt that I did trust Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. And an assurance was given to me that He had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And this man, along with his brother, began the great Wesleyan revival that ultimately greatly impacted 
this country. The book of Romans has changed the world. Let me bring you this morning to a modern example. Let me tell you now about a young man, a pastor in gospel-hardened Scotland. His name is Mez McConnell. Recently, he was interviewed in the Newsmaker interview series in World Magazine at Patrick Henry College. Every edition of World Magazine has a Newsmaker interview, and this is the last one of the year. Marvin Alasky is the editor-in-chief of World Magazine, and here's the young man, Mez McConnell, that he interviewed. Let me tell you about him. At the age of two, his mother abandoned him. His father remarried and his stepmother was a very abusive and violent woman. Mez committed his first assault at 12 years of age. As a teenager, his girlfriend stabbed a friend of his to death. He said, one moment we were smoking a cigarette, and he said the next moment we were on our way to the hospital as my friend lay bleeding to death in the back seat, stabbed in the heart by his girlfriend. Homeless at 16, he eventually stabbed two people in a fight in a nightclub, and he was sent to prison. Let me ask you, what hope is there for a young man like that? What hope? Well, on probation, some Christians who had visited him in prison, he said they treated me just like I was a human being. They welcomed him into their home, and there in that home, he found an old book. It was a copy of Matthew Henry's commentary on the whole Bible. If you've never seen that commentary, the oldest one that I have ever discovered is in the archives at NMU. Here it is. There's the three volumes. I went into the archives because I knew that they were in the library and the archivist let me take this picture of these three volumes, dated 1867. By the way, you know what he said to me? He said to me, Cliff Meyer is the father of the archives at NMU. But I want you to think about this. At some point in the history of NMU, somebody felt these volumes were so beneficial to the students that would come to the library that they donated them to the library. And now here we are, over 150 years from the publishing date of these particular volumes, and they are a rich treasure in the archives. So you know what this young man did, Mez? He found an edition of this commentary on the whole Bible. He said he read the whole thing from start to finish. Took him two months. Two months. And you know what happened. You know what happened. 
Even before I tell you what happened, you know what happened. Did I tell you you know what happened? Listen to what he said. I got converted reading the book of Romans. Did I tell you you knew what happened? Listen to this. Romans just resonated with me because I've been taught lies my entire life, largely by social workers and drug counselors. They just lied to me blatantly. The biggest lie was this, I wasn't really a bad person. I was a good guy who had a terrible upbringing, a terribly abusive childhood. I was a product of my environment. How many of us have been told that lie? Buddy writes, Paul says, no. You need to take responsibility for yourself, for your actions. You had a tough childhood, but you are a sinner standing in front of a holy God and there's no excuse for your sin regardless of how people mistreated you. You can turn from your sinful lifestyle and put your faith and trust in Christ the Lord for salvation and He'll forgive you. That's the good news. All the lies he had been told. But when he read the book of Romans, he knew. He knew. That's the truth. That's me. And I need Jesus. And now since 2007, he has been pastoring a church in gospel-hardened Scotland. And he's planted six more. Most unlikely pastor, church planter, you could ever imagine. And it all started with Romans. After the morning service, a man came to me and he said, Pastor, in my early years as a Christian, Romans had such a big impact on me. He said, my father was aged and a non-Christian. He said he was at a point in his life where he could not read. He said, I got some tapes on the book of Romans. And I sent them to my dad. And he would put those tapes in his cassette player and just... Listen to the book of Romans. And at the end of his life, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. Somebody else said to me earlier, Pastor, I have a Roman story. How long can you all stay here? (laughs) Romans has changed the world. Second reason why this is so important for our lives is this. Romans is the most comprehensive statement of true Christianity. If you were to introduce to somebody what it really truly means to be a Christian, and you wanted them to get the full story, nothing left out, you could not do any better than to send them to Romans. Now I want to ask you a question this morning. What strikes you when you see these five words that are on the screen? Sin salvation, sanctification, sovereignty, and service. What strikes you about those words? Well, I think one of the things that would strike you is you would say to me, well, Pastor, these words seem to be the words that are at the very heart of the Christian faith. 
In fact, if we could understand these words, we would understand the gospel very, very well. And you would be right. You know what else is true about these words? They are the outline of the whole book of Romans. Let me just share that outline with you this morning as we have this little survey of what the book of Romans is all about. And I think you will begin to see this is the most comprehensive treatment anywhere of what the gospel truly is. Chapters 1 to 3 are about sin, and that is the issue of righteousness needed. And what Romans says is it doesn't matter who we are, whether we're religious or irreligious, whether we're moral or immoral, we all stand condemned before a holy God. And because we are condemned before Him, we need His righteousness because there is no hope that our righteousness will be adequate. And the first three chapters convince us what the Scottish pastor realized, the problem is me, it's in my heart. Secondly, Romans gives us the answer. The second part is about salvation, and that's righteousness provided, chapters 3 to 5. This past Sunday evening at the Marquette Branch Prison, I quoted a verse from this section. I said to the prisoners, here's what God says, because of the provision He's made in Christ, He is now able to be just and the justifier of those who place their faith in Christ. I said to the prisoners, is that not good news? What do you think they said? It sure is. In chapters 3 to 5, righteousness provided. But then we have a problem, don't we? We all have a battle with the flesh inside of us. We still struggle with sin. We still make mistakes and we still are involved in errors and wrong. And we say to ourselves, how can I live this Christian life that has been given to me? And that's where chapters 6 through 8 come in. Sanctification, which simply means living a holy life. And here is righteousness empowered. And we learn that as a believer, the Holy Spirit has come within us. And what the law could not do because it was weak through the flesh, God can now do through the Spirit of God who lives within us. In chapter 6 through 8, righteousness empowered. But then we have another question. If this is really God's method of salvation, why is it that God's chosen people, the Jews, have largely rejected it? And why is it that Gentiles like us today are the ones who have mostly received it? Uh, That is a very, very difficult question. Think of the Jewish people. Hundreds and thousands of years praying for their Messiah. When He finally comes, they reject Him. And people like you and me who weren't even looking for Him, we have found Him. How does that happen? By the way, over the holidays, uh, we were catching up on some movies we haven't seen. We watched Fiddler on the Roof. came out in 1971. It shows you that we've got a lot to catch up on. 
And you get to the end of the movie. And here are these poor Jewish people living in shacks. And they're told by the authorities, you have to pack up and leave. And as they're coming to grips with all of this, one of the men standing in the group as he wonders, where am I and my family going to go? What are we going to take with us? He says, we've been praying for the Messiah to come for years and years and years. Wouldn't you think that a good time for Him to come would be now? And you say, why is it? The chosen people have rejected their Messiah. You and I weren't even looking for Him. And we found Him. And the book of Romans gives us the answer. It's God's sovereign grace. And in chapters 9 through 11, we will understand the sovereignty of God in the application of salvation. But there's one final question. Tomorrow's Monday morning. I need some practical answers as to how I'm going to live in light of all the decisions that I'm going to be making. Think of all the decisions we'll make in 2019. Can you give me some hands-on practical things? And that's how Romans ends. Chapters 12 to 16, service, righteousness, practiced. No wonder one pastor has said this, Romans is the most basic, most comprehensive statement of true Christianity. How true that is. When we study Romans, we get the complete package. We get everything that we need to understand the gospel, the Christian life, and how to live as we follow Christ. Well, that really leads us to the last point that I want to make this morning, and the final one is this. Romans can change your life. Romans can make you a different person. When I was in Bible college, uh, one of the teachers in that college, Moody Bible Institute, who taught Romans one semester on the first day of class, gave his students this opportunity. He said, any student who can memorize the entire book of Romans during the course of this semester will receive an automatic A. The only class I've ever heard of where the teacher gave such an opportunity. I knew one student who took up the challenge. The rest were a bunch of chickens, right? So I want you to think about that. For an entire semester, no papers, no exams, no books to read, just memorize the book of Romans. At the end of the semester, he stood before the teacher, the greater, he quoted from heart all 16 chapters of Romans. He got his A. 
How many of you think he got a lot more than an A? It was a life-transforming experience. Which leads me to my challenge. By the end of this series, anyone who can quote from hard after memorizing the book of Romans, I will give you an A. I don't know what you're going to do with that, eh? (laughs) But I will give you an A. By the way, did you know this? Martin Luther said, every Christian should know the book of Romans so well that they should memorize every word of Romans. Now, you obviously know I'm kidding. But one thing I'm not kidding about, Romans will change your life. Romans will change your life. And so this morning as we bring this little survey to a close, let's read together the theme verse of the whole book. Romans 1.16 Join me and let's affirm it together. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And all God's people said together, Amen. Let's bow our hearts together. Lord, We have so much to be thankful for as we start 2019. We've been given the immeasurable riches of Christ Jesus, whom to know is life eternal. We are the heirs of men and women in past history who have experienced the total and complete transformation of their lives through Romans and other portions of the Word of God. And through the insights and teaching that you gave to them, we now stand in such an enviable position that we can come to your Holy Word, understand it, believe it, be saved through it, be transformed by it, and live the most meaningful lives that anyone could ever live. Oh, what a wonderful thing it is in 2019 to name the name of Jesus Christ and belong to Him. And maybe there's somebody here today in this service who is not sure where you stand with Jesus Christ. You might be like so many raised in church, have a knowledge about a lot of things, but deep in your heart there's an emptiness. There's a sense of a lack of peace. There is no assurance that if I died at this very moment, I would go to be with Jesus, 
who I know without question is my Lord and Savior. And if you have any doubt about that, how wonderful it would be on this first Sunday of a new year for you to place your faith and trust in Christ alone, for His mercy and grace alone, and your salvation alone. And you can say something like this from your heart, Oh God, without even saying verbally to anyone around you, just within your heart, I know that I'm a sinner. All my good deeds will not earn my approach into your favor. But I do believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe He's God come in human flesh. And I believe He went to the cross to die for my sins. And He rose again from the dead. I believe He's alive today and He offers forgiveness and eternal life to all who will receive Him. And you might say to the Lord in your heart, Lord, right now I'm repenting. I'm turning from my own willfulness and weakness and wickedness and I'm turning to You. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Savior. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, and be my Lord. Forgive me of all the sins that You know about. Make me a child of God. Grant to me life, everlasting life from above. And you may say to the Lord Jesus, Lord, I know from this day forward, I I will not live this Christian life perfectly. I, I will struggle as all Christians do. But from this very moment forward, Lord Jesus, I long to live holy for You. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for saving me. Lord, we're thankful today. This is not a human enterprise we're a part of. This is a supernatural thing. The Holy Spirit is present And He can take the things of Christ and show them through to us. He can fix the world of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. And He lets us know that if we will claim Christ as Lord and Savior by faith and repentance, that that same Spirit will come into our hearts, leading us to cry, not as we further did, as we previously did, out of a spirit of bondage, but instead out of a spirit now of liberty. Abba. Father. And I pray today, O Holy Spirit, bring men and women, boys and girls, to the saving knowledge of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. In His name we pray. Amen.